Good morning. I'm so glad to welcome you all here for church this morning as we come together as God's people and sing his praises and learn more about him and fellowship with one another and, and with him. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing his praises together.
today to worship you. We know that you are present with us, and we ask that you will help us to uh, sense your spirit and to be open to you. We pray that um, this will be a time to bring glory to you and open our hearts to you as you work in us, and we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. I want to thank everyone who came out yesterday to help with the work day. Uh, we've got a lot accomplished, and uh, we appreciate uh, everyone's uh, efforts in uh, making the, the church look a little uh, brighter. It just sort of feels like spring once we, are, once we get together and uh, do that work every year. As you notice, hopefully on the doors you came in, that today we are electing our leaders for the next this coming year. If you're a covenant member of the church, we please want you to, uh, to cast your ballot. You can do so in the lower foyer after the service or in the community room foyer, but just make sure you do that today. And then tonight at 5 o'clock, we'll be gathering for our annual vision meeting. Uh, 
This is a time when we uh, hear some, we'll hear some, uh, some testimonies, some witness from this past year and things that God's doing in, in people's lives. We'll also talk about where we are headed and where God may be leading us. We'll have some time for break up into groups and have some group discussion. And uh, we'll also have a chance to pray together. And uh, so we hope you'll be here. Whether you're a member or not, doesn't matter. We want you to come tonight and to be a part of this gathering. Uh, if you could bring a dozen cookies or uh, bars, that would be great. We'll share those with each other as a part of our fellowship time together. Uh, we still need some people to help out with Sunday school and children's church through the summer. If you can help with that, uh, please contact uh, Emily. And uh, there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We continue to lift up those uh, among us who are going through difficult times as well as uh, things around the world. Uh, we are pleased uh, to have, have a long-standing connection with the Rochester Youth Association. We are one of the uh, anchor churches that uh, have helped to put this organization together and to uh, continue it. And uh, they are here this weekend uh, preparing for a trip to summer, and uh, we are glad to host them. And uh, we're going to hear just a, a little bit from uh, Khalib Rodriguez, one of the, uh, the people who is a, a part of the organization. He's going to share with us just a little bit about what God's doing through the Rochester Youth Association. God bless. I'm a little nervous because I don't, I'm not really a public speaker, even though I'm a, I'm a class, I'm a sixth grade teacher up in the city of Rochester. Well, one of the things that the Y does is that we go around, like this weekend, we have a group of 16 people, but there's, but from that group of 16, there's eight of us that are actually going to the trip to Ecuador this summer, and we are dispersed all over the churches down here. We're at, we have a group at Higgins, we have a group in North Park in, in Cuba, we have our group here. And then we also have a group going up to Fillmore, and we're just spreading the news that we of what we've been working with, been working on this past this past year. And the theme verse that we're going by for this trip is found in Romans 1:16, and it says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile." One of the things that we've been working on is trying to train, get our we got. Church, we got people from different churches, different cultures from within the city of Rochester coming together for one mission and it's to spread the good news. And one of the things is that I've, I went on this trip in 2001. I was only 14 years old when I first went. And then I, when I went down there, I was like, oh, I'm just 14 years old. I'm just going to go down and relax and be like, okay. Just a typical teenager, like, oh, just going to go to see what's the experience. I came back transformed because I didn't, inner city kid me, living in a Hispanic home, predominantly Spanish, didn't speak any Spanish at all because I was, I was being lazy. But then I came back from after the trip and I was like, that's the reason why I need to know, I need to know two languages because I can communicate better. And... My Spanish has improved since then. Now I'm going back as a 27-year-old, as a, as a teacher now, so it's different mode. Also, one of the things I've been working on, reason why we're down here is to prepare ourselves for Ecuador, because we don't know what's going to, we don't know if the surprise is going to happen. So we come, we come down here to Houghton, and to, down to this area, to train, per se, train. It prepares us, because we don't, we'll be staying in people's homes when we're down in Ecuador. We'll be going to churches, schools, working we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the Lord has for us. And I just want 
I just want you guys to, I'm calling you guys to pray for us on this trip. And just, just pray for us that the Lord guides us in whatever happens down there. Thank you. God has blessed us in a great variety of ways, one of them materially. And we have the opportunity now to give back to God from the ways in which he has blessed us as the ushers come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come and make. Oh
We have the opportunity to pray to God together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Father, we pray that you will indeed build your church here on earth. That we would be your people, a witness to others. That people would see you in us. Father, as your church, we come to this moment of prayer and we ask for your grace upon us on the needs that we represent. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with pain and difficulty and who are in need of your comfort and healing power. We pray, Father, for family and Bob Brown. We pray, Father, for friends and family of Ben Sauer, and for all who are grieving recent death today, we pray for your mercy and your comfort in each of their hearts. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace upon all who are in need of healing from the difficulties that come to us in these fragile, broken bodies. We pray today for Bev and Edna, for Linda, Micah, for Bob and Bill, and for Crystal and Emily, and for others who are on our hearts and minds today. Father, we pray for the Youth Association. Thank you for the ministry that uh, they have, for the, the good things that you have done through this outpouring of your spirit and people willing to serve you. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to bless them. We pray that this trip to Ecuador will be life-changing for so many people. We ask for your grace upon the ministry of the Youth Association. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We think especially of Miriam Ibrahim, a Sudanese woman who has been sentenced to death because she has refused to renounce her faith in you. Lord, we pray that this decision would be reversed. We pray that that you would give her courage and strength in the midst of very difficult times. And we ask that your power would be revealed. And that through this circumstance, through this event... Somehow, through your grace, you would be glorified. And people would see you in a new way. Father, we thank you for all the ways in which you bless our lives. We thank you for every moment that you give to us. We pray that you give us eyes to see you at work in our hearts, our minds, in every part of our being. And we thank you. For the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, 
who came to this earth, who lived and died for our sins and rose again to newness of life and has promised to come back. It's in his name that we offer our prayers, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture, the children may be dismissed for children's church, and there's no junior church this week. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Please stand as we sing together. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is our constant longing and prayer. we will forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be
Please be seated. I'm in the church because people in the church loved me. My experience with the church has not always been perfect. As a preacher's kid, um, there were expectations, and there were at least a few times where I didn't meet those expectations. I still remember an incident when some friends and I were running in the basement of the church, and um, one, of the, one of the elders of the church saw us, and I was the only one who got into trouble. I have not always had a love for the church. As a pastor, I have witnessed the underbelly of the church. I remember the little first little country church where we served and the, the parishioner who vehemently opposed us because we wanted to start a new ministry to bring young couples into the church. I remember the, the, the fighting between two families who were trying to control the church. I think about the, the couple that seemed like their mission in life was to do everything possible to make us miserable and to oppose everything that we did. I, I think about the, the man who actually threatened to shoot me because... I and some of the guys from the church took his wife and children out of his abusive home. Sometimes I haven't always loved the church, but I do love the church because there were people who helped me see the church was loving. As a teenager, I think about our youth group leaders who sacrificed so much and who spoke words of, of grace and blessing to me when I needed it most. Think about the professor in college who helped me with direction and guidance that I, when I was wavering. I think about the church official who mentored us. And helped renew our our passion for the church that our parents had instilled within us. I think about each of the churches we've served. And the many people, so many people in this church. Who have loved us and supported us and encouraged us and cared for us. And completely renewed our vision of the church. I was thinking about all of this as I was reading once again these words from 1 Peter chapter 3 that Annie just read a few moments ago. Thinking about what it means to be the church. And and what we find as as we begin reading in chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love each other, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I read that and thought, okay, I've heard that 
pretty much all of my life. And those are nice words and they make sense. And then I read verse 9 from the message. And Eugene Peterson translates verse 9 simply this way, at least a part of it. He says this, bless. That's your job, to bless. And it took on a whole new meaning for me. As I began to realize that what it means to be the church is to bless one another. What it means to be the church, that's our job. Our job as the church is to bless. Now, quite frankly, I'm not sure everybody agrees with that. I'm not sure everybody in the church agrees. Some people would say, no, no, our job is to evangelize, or our job is to judge people, or our job is to be the moral police in our culture. Or our job is to, is to make sure that we, we force Jesus onto people. And Peter says, no, your job is to bless. And if that's true, then I think it's important to understand what does it mean to bless. And I think if we boil that down to, into just a, a nutshell, I think to bless means that everything we would want God to do in our lives... We want him to do in other people's lives. And if that's our mindset, then evangelism and caring for people and being a witness in the world and loving people and all the things that people may argue are important and they are definitely important, all of those things fall into place. And they take on the significance that they're supposed to take on. But first, it's about having the spirit of blessing of wanting for other people everything that we would want God to do for us. And in this setting, as Peter is talking here, what he's saying here in these verses is he's really not talking about how we address the world. He's talking about how we address each other. It's about blessing each other. That's where it starts. How we treat each other. And it seems to me that more often than not, our blessing rises and falls with our words. What we say to each other. I don't think we take words as seriously as we should. We often often may catch ourselves saying, well, it's just words. I think that's why our society is littered with, with written documents because verbal agreements don't mean anything anymore we don't take words seriously but we should words are vital they're significant i remember hearing dennis kinlaw talk about how he said it struck him one day that outside of his relationship with christ the most significant thing that happened in his life were took place with two puffs of air And it's symbolized in three letters, I do. He said, we've long since lost our marriage license, five children, five in-laws, seven grandchildren, two more on the way. And what started it all? Two puffs of air. So she looks at me and says, you said it. He said, I look at her and said, you said it. And everything hinges on that. It's just two puffs of air. It's just words. It's never just words. Words have life. Words have power. 
I read just, just this week, someone who was talking about our, the similarities in our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. And they said one of the ways in which our relationship with each other is similar to our relationship with God is in speech. God speaks. He speaks creation into existence. He speaks his word through the prophets. He speaks through the scriptures, his word. God is a God who speaks. And you and I speak. And when we speak, our words, they, we're basically doing what God does. Which is why words that are meant to encourage and bless and bring compassion and love hurt so deeply when they curse and injure and inflict. We all know what it is to receive words that are blessing and words that are curses. Words that encourage us, words that hurt us. You think about how your day is different when you hear someone say to you, I love you. You're so special to me. Thank you for being you. I just want you to know how important you are to me. You know, every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. We walk a little taller when people look us in the eye and tell us those things. Just words? No, so much more. And one of the most significant means of blessing each other is through our words. What kind of words are we sharing with each other as the church? What do they sound like? What are they doing to our relationship with each other? So when we say, well, they're just words, then we really don't take seriously what we say to each other and how we say it. I think it's, this is why Peter says here in, in verses 9 and 10, he, talks, he equates insults and sarcasm with evil. He puts them in the same category. And we literally say, wait a second, you know, we, we have different levels. I mean, insult, sarcasm, they may be bad, but man, evil. When we think of evil, we think of, you know, dark stuff. We think of malevolent behavior. We, we think of demonic. I mean, that's evil, but that's not words. It doesn't seem to be what Peter's saying. You know, we, we tend to say, well... You know, they had it coming, so I, I can say that to them. Besides, it's just words. I, I, you know, I had to get my point across. I had to let them know what was right and what was wrong. So I had to, I, if I had to rip into them to make it happen, well, you know, I was just standing up for what I believed and what was right. Besides, it's just words. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have shared what that person shared with me in confidence, but it's not like it's evil. It was just a prayer request. Just words. And Peter says, no, we're not about that. We're about blessing. And words have the power to bless each other. And we ought to take them seriously and think about what our words are doing. And what makes us even more serious is that when you get to verse 9, he says, if you want to be a church that's blessed by Christ, 
You have to be people who are committed to blessing each other. There is a connection. There is a connection between being people who bless each other and experiencing the blessing of Christ in our body. And as, as people, the people of God, there is a distinct connection in those two things. And if we aren't blessing each other, then we are closing ourselves off to the blessing of Christ upon us. And that's a dangerous place to be. But if we are committed to a desire to bless each other, then we open ourselves up to the blessing of the Spirit and to experience that. And what's interesting is that when we are committed to blessing each other, it's interesting how things begin to happen. And we see God work and lives are transformed and and people respond And we see a little more of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we do? I think, first of all, we need a desire, a passion to bless one another. We're not always going to do it. We're going to fail. We're not perfect. None of us are. We're going to stumble. But if we have a passion to want to bless each other, that even when we stumble, the first thing we're going to do is to apologize To speak words of forgiveness and to make it right. And we're going to be thinking all the time about how we can, how we can bless each other instead of how we can get our own way. We're going to think about what's best for them instead of what's best for me. We may need to sit down and write a letter or an email. We may need to make a phone call. We may need to have a face to face conversation. And as hard as it is, we're willing to do it. Because our goal, our passion, is that people are blessed through us. And God works. And the church is transformed. And we can't do this in our own power. We're going to keep falling short. But as he says at the end of this chapter, it's all about the risen Christ. It's about the power of Christ in us giving us that passion, giving us that desire to want to bless. And I am convinced that if we as a church have a passion and a desire to bless each other, things will look different. We will look different. We will be different. God will be glorified. Lives will be transformed. And the kingdom will indeed come on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we come to this table. This is a table of blessing. This is a table in which Christ, who goes to the cross and has promised to come back to us, blesses us. So I want to invite you this morning to come to this table and to to sense the blessing of Christ on your life that enables us to have the power to be people who bless one another. Gracious Father, we thank you for the blessing you've given us in Christ. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the privilege 
of being channels of blessing with each other. Father, we pray that your anointing, your spirit, will come upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. As we eat and drink, fill our hearts and our minds with the blessing of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. If you'd like to kneel at the altar rail and pray, you're always welcome to do so. We also have uh, trays and cups. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And we also have gluten-free wafers. If that is a need for you, just let me know as you come forward, and I will serve you those. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Westland Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire for Him to bless you, and your desire to be a blessing, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. After every sin I've done, after every single one, I can't see how you can forgive. I don't know how you can forgive. Every time I meet you in prayer, I am unworthy to be there, but you are merciful and
1 Peter 3, 13 through 22. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For if it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. (coughs) And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I know you're thinking, I thought we were done. Peter says that we're to bless each other, but it doesn't stop there. We bless each other so that we have the ability to bless the world. And that is our calling to bless the world. It's not enough for us to say, well, we get along with each other and and we're great and, and we just build a wall around ourselves and we're done. We do have a calling to share the gospel with the world. We have a calling to be a moral compass in the world. We have a calling to, to, to be the, the presence of Christ in the world of darkness and pain that needs him. That is, that is a calling that's on the church. But if we aren't blessing each other, if we aren't connected to each other, then how in the world can we be a blessing to anyone else? So it starts with us, but then it moves on. And Peter is specifically talking here about how we bless the world that opposes us. And it's not easy. I I just read recently, someone said, expecting the, the world to treat you fairly because you're good is a little bit like expecting the bull not to attack you because you're a vegetarian. It just doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't happen. And the, the truth of the matter is, we are going to be opposed. Peter lives in a world in which he has already faced severe opposition, persecution. The people to whom he's writing are scattered, more than likely because of persecution. They get it. They understand it. And our natural human response is to, when we're attacked, to attack back. And Peter says, as much as you want to do that, the response of God's people, the response of the church when we are opposed is to bless. 
is to, is to communicate the spirit of blessing, to want for people who oppose us, again, everything that we want from God for ourselves. That's our calling. That's our job, to bless. And the most profound witness that we have as the church to bless the people who oppose us is, is grace. Is to treat people in the spirit of grace. Even when we speak truth, hard truth, we do it in the spirit of grace. Peter says in verses 15 and 16 that always be ready to give an answer when, when, you're, when you're challenged about your faith. And then he says, but make sure you do it in the spirit of gentleness and respect. We're ready to give an answer. That's the easy part. It's the gentleness and the respect that challenges us. It's hard. It's hard when people oppose us to respond in the spirit of blessing, in gentleness and respect. We want to fight back. We want to defend. We want to impose. Years ago, I read an article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about uh, a guy who had gone to the, uh, the Wooddale Church, a mega church outside of Minneapolis, and he had written a, a, an article about visiting the church one Sunday. And it, it was, had some complimentary things to say, but it was fairly critical as well. A week later, he wrote a follow-up article. And in that follow-up article, he said, as soon as the article came out in the paper, the hate mail started coming in. And it came from people who were Christians. And, he, and the, the saddest thing about it is that's exactly what he expected to happen. It didn't even surprise him. And that ought to convict us. I know the most natural thing in the world is for us to want to fight back. And there is a place for standing tall for our faith. But always in the spirit of grace, gentleness, respect. Always in a mindset of how can we bless these people so that they will see Christ in us. That's our calling. That's our job. It's fascinating to me how Peter, as he gets to the end of this section, talks about Noah and the flood and and the people who reject God and reject Noah's witness and, and that Jesus goes and preaches to them. I'll be honest, I, have, I don't really know exactly what Peter's talking about here, and you can find probably a thousand theories about what he's trying to say here. But it seems to me that at least a part of it is he's saying, even to people who have rejected God, even to people who've turned their backs on the witness of God, Jesus goes and preaches grace to them. I think he may well be simply using this as an example. Because right before that he says, remember, Christ died the righteous, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Christ died, the righteous one, for people who didn't deserve it. And if we're honest, of course, that's us too. And we look at the people who have been imprisoned and who have rejected God, the people that Jesus goes and preaches to, and and. Part of us feels like, Jesus, why are you doing that? 
Because we want people to get what they deserve. That's justice. That's what we want. And I'm assuming the people to whom Peter writes are thinking, whoa, wait a second. These people have oppressed us. They've persecuted us. We want God to get them. Most natural thing in the world. Peter says, if Jesus has the grace to go and speak to these people, whatever exactly that means, shouldn't we show that same kind of grace to people who reject us, reject God, reject the church, reject Christ? One of the ways in which we reveal the grace of God is baptism. Again, he talks about how baptism saves us, and I think we wrestle with that because I think we have a different view of baptism than Peter in the early church. For us, baptism often feels optional. For them, it wouldn't have been at all. For them, the most natural thing in the world would be you open your heart to Christ and you're baptized. It's, it's what you do because it's a public witness that I'm about Christ. And that's really what baptism is intended to be, at least a part of it, is that we are taking a stand. We're saying, Christ in my heart, I want you to know that. And as the church, we declare we need Christ. And we are being baptized. We are standing up as baptized people, declaring our faith that we need Christ, that anything good in us is because of Christ. It is all about Christ. And in places of the world... Even today, places of the world, people who are baptized are, in a sense, it's drawing a line in the sand. And that's often when the persecution starts. That's when the opposition intensifies. But it's not, baptism isn't a means of rubbing people's face in something. It's simply standing up and saying, God's grace has been poured out upon me. I've been blessed by God. I want you to be blessed by God. I want you to know what God has done for me. And it is a gentle, humble witness. It is a witness to the risen Christ in us as the church. That our calling, our calling is not to impose, it is to forgive. Our calling is not to force Christ on people, it is to bless people. Our calling isn't necessarily to, to fight for Christ in the church. It is to stand tall for Christ and sacrifice and speak the truth with gentleness and respect and be channels of blessing into a world, to, to respond to a world that opposes us in a way that they don't expect. Because that's the way of Christ. Now, as Jesus says, you know, you love people who love you, big deal, anyone can do that. The test of my people, my church, is loving people who hate you. Blessing people who reject you. That's our calling. Years ago, I, one of my, I read one of my favorite stories that Fred Craddock tells. It's about a missionary named Oswald Galter. It was back in the 1940s, and his mission board sent him a ticket home after he had spent 10 years in North China, serving the Lord, sharing the gospel. 
he he made his way back and landed in India. And while he was there in one of the port cities, he uh, had to await a, f- a few days, a few weeks even, before his the ship moved on to take him to England. And while he waited, he happened upon some refugees in a warehouse along the port, along the docks there. And they were in this warehouse because they were a people group that no one wanted in their country. They were people without a country. And so they were holed up in this warehouse with nowhere to go. And he began to talk with them and and work with them. And and he, he went in, it was Christmas time, and he went in to them the next day after he had first learned of them. And he said, he said, what would you guys like for Christmas? And they said, well, we don't practice Christmas. We're not Christians. He said, I know, but what would you like for Christmas? And they hemmed and hawed around a little bit, and he kept pushing them. And finally, they talked about some, some German pastries that they loved. And so the next day, Oswald Galter scoured this whole city until he found a bakery that made those pastries. And he cashed in his ticket home and bought baskets and baskets and baskets of these pastries. And he walked into this warehouse and he said to them, Merry Christmas. And he gave them the pastries. Sometime later when he was telling this story, a student was listening and said to him, but sir, why would you do that? They weren't even Christians. He said, I know. I I know they weren't Christians. I know that they don't love Jesus. But I do. Church, our calling, our job is to bless. And my prayer is that we will go forth into this world to be God's people who are known as the church that blesses. In whatever way God may lead us to do that, that we may be channels of transformation in lives, in our culture, our nation, our world, through the grace of the risen Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.